this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to another edition of the in focus podcast i am your host g sampath celebrations are still going on in argentina after what many consider as possibly the greatest world cup final played till date the match billed as a matchup between argentine legend lionel messi and france's superstar kylian mbappe surpassed and confounded everyone's expectations in its twists and turns while the final will remain the biggest talking point of the qatar world cup the tournament also threw up several others the success of morocco the spectacular upsets tactical evolutions of the game messi's legacy and of course the fact that this is the first world cup to be hosted in the arab world we look back at some of these highlights as we bring the curtains down on what has been a truly memorable event joining me today is my colleague shrinivasan ramani a passionate student of the game as well shrini welcome to in focus thanks sampath thanks for having me so shrini let's start uh, with the name that will forever be associated with this edition of the world cup lionel messi and his legacy messi has played in four world cups before this and in 2014 he actually led his team all the way to the final before they lost to germany and when that happened he was 27 he was at the peak of his physical fitness he was captain of the team and still he lost so what was different this time around that enabled him to finally achieve this dream Yes, Sampath. So, uh, we did a data story yesterday in the Hindu op-ed page. So, we, we do this regular feature called Data Point, right? So, yesterday's data point was on uh, the World Cup, uh, statistics related to the World Cup. So, that showed that Messi was more effective in terms of goals scored, assists made, uh, key passes, shots on target compared to his previous editions uh, in 2014 and 2018. So, yes, Messi was prima facie more effective and that is remarkable no considering the fact that he's 35 years old and his age is uh, you know he has a, he's at an age when skills and athleticism of football generally decline but when you pass these numbers in context right uh, that is if you look at how the uh, argentina squads in 2014 18 and 22 played you'll notice that messi was this effective clearly this time because his teammates played and his coach made them play in such a manner that they were able to maximize the output of clearly in my opinion the world's best footballer of at least this generation right let me explain so lionel lionel scaloni uh, argentina's coach uh, uh, he's also he was also the coach when argentina won the copa del rey a couple of years ago copa del this is the copa america cup uh, sorry so copa america so not copa del rey i'm sorry copa america uh, Copa del Rey is a Spanish cup, sorry. Copa, Copa America, basically. So, Argentina is the reigning Copa America champions. And before the first game uh, lost against uh, Saudi Arabia, Argentina were unbeaten for 36 games, right? So, it's not an accident that Argentina did, Argentina did this well in this World Cup. So, after the loss against the Saudis, uh, Scaloni tinkered with his preferred formations and he was tactically far more flexible. Why did they lose to the Saudis? I mean, that was like a shock. Uh, this thing. It's like Saudi Arabia is the only team to have beaten the world champions, as it were. You know, how did that happen? And, and at that point, uh, we did a, a ELO rating analysis, and we found that uh, the this was the biggest upset ever in a in a World Cup game. And that later on, uh, Cameroon defeated uh, second string Brazil side, but still, 
uh, that was you know a huge upset in my opinion saudi arabia played a very risky strategy they played a very high line right of defenders and um, many of the attacks by argentina were caught out offside so uh, that was in the first half and the second half i think uh, you know they were frustrated and uh, i mean they didn't cohere well enough and uh, saudi arabia got two two, two quick goals uh, against the run of play and these things happen in football and saudi arabia worked really hard to maintain that lead uh, but after the game i think uh, scaloni uh, tinkered with his formations and he he made the squad much more tactically flexible the main change he made was he replaced lautaro martinez who was their forward right with a much more experienced striker and he's also much more touted you know he he, he plays in a, a very good serie a side and uh, Uh, in, uh, he was replaced by Julian Alvarez, a youngster who plays for Manchester City, but barely 22 years old. And uh, the way Alvarez played actually helped both Argentina and, to uh, to the, to, the, to the larger point, help Messi be Messi. I'll explain how. So uh, Alvarez was constantly harassing defenders by pressing them, and he tried to win the ball or make the defenders play hurried passes that help uh, win uh, possession back for Argentina. and this was not just alvarez uh, midfielders rodrigo de paul alexis mcallister and the tournament's young best young player uh, enzo fernandez they were constantly hiring up opponents well so uh, this allowed the burden on messi to be relatively less right uh, so uh, messi was free to create uh, and also uh, it all, this also allowed him to position himself between the line and make use of space and create and run havoc uh, uh, you know at the defenders and that's why even at this uh, advanced stage when he is no longer as you know unworldly as he was before he was uh, good enough uh, yes he, he has slowed down a little bit right he is not as yes, fast yes, as he used to be yes he's 35 35 is advanced stage in for footballers but but even even at 35 he was i mean he still retained some of his ability sample is you know this uh, taking on this excellent uh, probably the one of the best defenders in his world cup yosko uh, guardiol yeah Uh, the the way he you know ran circles around him made him sweat and you know he came up with this beautiful assist from the touchline and that too with his weak right foot that is messi's stamp of genius so i think the credit must go to coach lionel scaloni uh, back story is that scaloni was messi's former teammate from the 2006 squad and he was also a key member of uh, of a very important team uh, very a very good team uh, deportivo la coronia which is a club side in spanish football that was the probably the last uh, or very one of the very few teams outside real madrid and barcelona to actually dominate uh, spanish football in the early 2000s and scaloni was a very important uh, member of the team he was a right back for them if i'm not wrong a full back at least i think the credit must goes to scaloni for fashioning this uh, argentinian squad with hard working good players and uh, being flexible enough tactically to get the best out of the team and enabling messi to be at his best now contrast this is 2018 uh, in 2018 the argentinian squad was overly dependent on messi to do the creation and worked in a way to merely you know get the ball to messi and expecting him to create or finish right i mean uh, this is a phenomena that uh, you know messi watchers call messi dependency i mean even even his club side former club side barcelona went through this phase they were overly dependent on messi and i think that th- th- that is not the best way to bring br- bring the best out of messi you can't entirely depend on one player may if i can use in cricketing my metaphor you know like uh, of course cricket is a different sport football is more continuous cricket is more discrete no set of discrete events bowler to batsman batsman plays and so on but football is everyone is involved you have to have everyone at every point of time otherwise uh, you know i mean uh, any any mistake could lead to the opposition winning right 
So, so Srini, so, sorry to interrupt you, but so what was the problem uh, that was solved? Is the, was the problem getting the ball to Messi? Was that the problem which Scaloni solved, or was the problem supporting him when there is a goal scoring process which is on? Is that the problem? Is it supporting him when he's scoring or assisting? Yeah, the problem is that reliance on Messi, right? Uh, the, the previous call was entirely reliant on Messi to do the creation and also to enable the fin- enable the finishing, right? Previous calls were are relatively more reliant on him. This squad, Messi was one integral member, but others were also doing what they could, right? And it also freed up Messi to do what he's best at. So, Messi was not doing any pressing. If you notice, he was you know, lolling around uh, in a certain area between the lines, the, between the defensive lines, while others were running, doing the pressing and trying to harry the defenders, right? That was that was actually uh, by, by, uh, by design. A, it could free him up to, you know, use his energies... Uh, for creation and uh, finishing, uh, and B, it also made the different made the opposition have to focus on other players other than Messi alone, right? So uh, that allowed the you know Messi to do what he's good at. So th- th- that was what I think Scaloni br- br- did uh, brought a dimension that was missing in previous World Cups. And when I say missing, it's not entirely missing, but not to the extent that was there in this World Cup, right? So in cricket, for example, there was there were periods when you know the Indian team was too dependent on Tendulkar, for example. And even though Tendulkar was his, was at his best, uh, the Indian team never won. Right? It is not exactly similar to that, but you know, just for metaphorical comparative purposes, you have a similar situation. Uh, Argentina was overly dependent upon Messi in 2018. 2014 was a slightly different story. I think 2014 Messi was at his peak. He was. He was uh, far more, uh, you know, skillful and uh, far, far more energetic than he is now. And uh, he actually delivered quite a few assists and telling passes. And they could have probably have won the World Cup if the strikers were more effective. Like Gonzalo Higuain missed a sitter in the final against Germany. Uh, but I think that 2022, Scaloni's Argentina was, they were tactically superior. Far more hardworking than the earlier iterations of uh, Argentina's teams. And that brought the best out of aging Messi and enabled him to fulfill the one thing that was, you know, missing in his resume. That is a World Cup win. Having said that, having said that, I am fortunate to, to have seen the best of Messi, uh, and that was in Barcelona colors and, and in teams coached by Pep Guardiola and feature, featuring other super players like Xavi Hernandez, Andres Iniesta, among others. And these were more complete teams, and they enabled reach enabled Messi to reach a stratosphere of performance that. You know, few would have ever matched, and um, you know, we should have seen those goals, uh, Sampath, from those period. You know, go to YouTube and just you search for them, and even you, Sampath, you are a man of very literally abilities. I'm sure you'll run out of you know encomiums and adjectives too. <laughs> <laughs> right? No, I will uh, check them out. Just that I don't follow club football so much. I'm a sort of a more of a once in four years kind of a follower of the beautiful game uh, as it is now moving on from Messi I mean I, I I think the broader point is that this transition of Argentina from Messi dependency to Messi integration as it were so that the team as a whole could play around him rather than uh, depend on him. Uh, moving on to the next uh, which uh, aspect which struck me uh, a big deal is that this World Cup has generated 172 goals which is the biggest uh, number as in of any World Cup that happened till date even though even though the goals to game ratio is not as high as it was in 1954 when it was 5.38 goals per match which is humongous and thinkable uh, these days so do you think on the whole we saw a more attacking brand of soccer compared to say 2018 2014 2006 whatever uh, which is why there are more goals or is it like the sides have been defensively weaker and therefore generating uh, 
uh, leading to more mistakes and goal, goals being scored? No, I think the former. I mean, football has clearly become much more attacking uh, in later, recent iterations of World, World Cups, and including this one. Uh, that's because tactical evolutions have, you know, made the f- game that much more attacking, you know. So teams are relied more on patient possession, build-up, passing, creation, or even uh, if they're not doing that, they, they focus on counter-attacks and transitions rather than, you know, playing long ball football and, you know, stifling defensive, uh, uh, you know, the kind of football that used to, like the Katanakyo model of football that Italy used to play. So, you know, if you compare it to 1990 or 1994 World Cups, the recent tournaments have seen more goals. That's because of more attacking play. The other, uh, you know, um, other reason why we have seen more goals is that the introduction of war, again, this is my personal opinion, introduction of this uh, video assistant uh, assistance uh, in refereeing, right, that has clearly helped. So, the, uh, even a slightest foul in the penalty area has been judged as penalties. And this tournament had a huge, no, no, high number of penalties, right? Yeah, we had so many penalties in the final as well, yeah. Yeah, 10% of the goals were from penalties and 69% were from open play, according to recent analysis that I read somewhere. So, which is both, which both are both are actually quite highs, you know, compared to previous uh, World Cups uh, or recent World Cups at least. And so, the war helped referees control the game better. Team teams also tried to avoid excessive falling, so the flow of the game was better. Uh, and uh, even teams that were that played very defensive were not, you know, um, defensive for the purpose of just playing defense. They this they, they didn't just sit there and absorb pressure. I mean, they what they did was. The, 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 the reason the, they played defense was for a particular purpose and that was to enable counter-attack, right? So, they did not rely on position. But the, the moment they won position, they were very good in counter-attacks and quick transitions like Morocco and Japan in particular. So, that showed that even teams that played defensive football were well-drilled units. And all in all, I think that while uh, this World Cup had different forms of attacking football, uh, it was not... Uh, it, the goals were not because teams... Because of... Uh, a big difference in quality between teams. Rather, it was because all teams that scored a lot actually did so because they were well-drilled units. Uh, and uh, that's, uh, that, that says something to the evolution of football over time. So, if you notice, if you if you take a random game, right, any random game in this World Cup and see how build-up happens, if you notice that the goalkeepers tend to, you know, uh, have ball skills, they, they, will, they, will, they will collect the ball uh, and, uh, you know, they will initiate the attack by uh, passing it on to the defenders and who will then build it slowly to midfield and so on, rather than long ball. Long balls were more the, you know, uh, nature of uh, how attacks started uh, in the early 90s. Now it's not like that. you see patient build-up, even more patient build-up and more position-oriented football and more, uh, you know, intricate attacking patterns. But aren't long balls uh, a quicker way of launching a counter-attack? So, but long, long balls reduce the probability of holding position, right? Because, uh, you, I mean, you, 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 the, the footballer can control the ball uh, on the ground easier than uh, on in the air, right? But I guess if you have confidence, if you have confidence in your forwards and uh, strikers that they will be able to get position, win position in an aerial uh, battle, I suppose then it might still uh, be a viable But if strategy. you have compact uh, defensive strategies, right, you can easily negate the effect of uh, long ball football. And that's the reason why, uh, you know, long ball football has become nearly obsolete. Very few teams play that. They play it only in situations, right? Even Argentina did that, I think, in one game. Uh, which was it? Against Netherlands. I think... Uh, they, they utilized the long balls in some situations because they were noticing that uh, the Netherlands team was defending in a particular way. So, I mean, so and Netherlands also, for example, tried to use the long ball because they had a height advantage in the later after the game. They actually 
you know equalized against Argentina, right? And that's because they utilized long ball because they had uh, taller players. So, uh, so I mean, it's not as if teams don't utilize long ball, but uh, but that is not the primary way of playing. Like if you notice the England teams in the past, they used to have Michael Owen and this, and this uh, footballer named Emil Heskey. The job of Emil Heskey was simply to receive the ball from the goalkeeper. He was tall. You know, sturdy and uh, somehow you know uh, play one on one, I mean one twos with uh, Owen and uh, allow Owen to go and score. That was the basic idea. Srini, uh, let me stop you. That you spoke earlier about uh, how the difference between the teams which won and lost uh, was was basically in terms of this counter attack and how they're using possession. And I want to talk about this uh, Moroccan team. I mean, they were playing, I think, quite defensively for the most part. And still, they managed to reach uh, the semi-finals. Like, what is it that sets this uh, Moroccan team from the previous African teams, which did make some progress, like Cameroon, for instance, to the quarterfinals, but couldn't go beyond? So, I didn't see all of Morocco's games. I think I saw two games, but one game pretty closely. Uh, actually, I, I, I'm a Spain fan, so <laughs> I watched the Spain versus yeah, I guess you must have seen the Spain one, which Spain lost. That's the one. So, I saw Spain and Morocco very closely. But uh, it was high-quality defensive football. So, see, Spain plays a very, very, very strong position-based game, right? So, there are two ways to, you know, tackle this position. You start, you uh, halt this position uh, orchestra in the beginning itself by pressing the goalkeeper or the first defender, right? Or you do, or you do the latter. That is, you, uh, you know, um, keep uh, uh, your midfield, uh, uh, you know, compact enough, and uh, so that all the position is uh, negated because you have a midfield advantage. And uh, you make the team that is reliant on position to play via the wings, right? And if the wing players are not up to the mark and they're not able to take on the defenders, then you negate the advantage that uh, that uh, skill, uh, skilled position-based out- outfits have. And Morocco played that to a T in, uh, against Spain. But that was not only that. It, it was not only the model of defense they used, but what they did after gaining control. They had Ashraf Hakimi, who is a right back, who who has enormous, who is very skilled, very pacey, and who is very good on counter attack. And uh, Ashraf Hakimi actually uh, played for Real Madrid uh, some years back, if I'm not wrong. And many players from Morocco actually play in Spain and France. And it's very clear that uh, they are quite evolved uh, tactically, and these are very intelligent footballers who 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 have seen various tactical schemes. And the Moroccan coach also has drilled them quite well. Now, uh, those two factors, one, because they have ex- their exposure to professional football at the highest level, that has given them the ability to go and compete at the highest level. And secondly, uh, the Moroccan uh, coach recognizing their strengths and bringing the best out of their uh, you know, abilities by playing a compact version of defensive football, at the same time, allowing for counter-attacks, that actually enabled Morocco to you know, stave off the Spanish threat. And when it comes to penalties, you know, you know, it is always, uh, you know, it, it's, it's like Russian roulette. But even there, they had a very tall goalkeeper. I mean, Bruno was... Some, some football writers actually think Bruno was the best uh, goalkeeper in this tournament. He's six foot five or six foot six, if I'm not wrong. Also, but Spain also has a very poor record in penalties, right? A mixed record. I won't say very poor. Mixed record. In World Cups? Not 100% sure. I mean, yeah, it could be. Yeah, yeah, could be. But, uh, but essentially, I mean, but again, each squad is different, right? I mean, the, the players who played in this World Cup didn't play previously. So, penalties actually, it, it's, it's a game of odds, no? It's not a game of uh, you know, just skill. There is a certain amount of luck involved. But at the same time, you make your own luck. And Morocco made their own luck. They played this brand of football that negated uh, even a high-quality position-oriented side. 
Of sorry to interrupt Sini I did speaking of penalties what did you make of this Emilio Martinez's antics in the final uh, penalties I mean lots been written about it when I don't know can one actually endorse that kind of uh, gamesmanship yeah so obviously that's uh, poor gamesmanship i mean there is no two words for that uh, and i don't i don't think that uh, you know that that has any place in uh, you know football or any sport for that matter but having said that i think it's overplayed i don't think gamesmanship was the reason why emilio martinez managed to you know uh, do better i mean i mean uh, managed to get those misses and uh, you know get the french players two of the french players to miss the penalties i don't think so i mean and it's just skill so emilio martin is quite tall is 195 cm right and uh, he has a you know particular way of uh, tackling penalties so he doesn't uh, commit himself immediately he stands behind goal and then he 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 you know m- you know moves to and fro and then uh, decides to go on one direction and then commits to it entirely after after he decides to do so but under fraction of a second that the that the, uh, the penalty scorer has Uh, if he is indecisive then the you know the goalkeeper has advantage right and because he is tall he, his reach is so good you need to actually either uh, you know score uh, in the corners or you have to uh, aim for the higher part of goal right now that reduces the chances of uh, you know the penalties uh, being uh, goal for example because you are you are actually targeting areas that are not easy to target right and i think that's the reason why emilio martinez succeeded i mean the gamesmanship and other things you know you could say that you know it could have it had an effect but i'm not sure i mean at, at the highest level in professional football these things don't matter you know chuameni who plays for uh, real madrid for example he he has played in the clasico between real madrid and barcelona and he's quite good against he was just he's just 22 and he played really well against barcelona so i'm not sure that pressure actually got to him it was just good goalkeeping so anyone who says that you know it's games mentorship who won the penalty shooter for argentina i think uh, they're just uh, speculation that's empty speculation in my yeah, no no not gamesmanship alone but but there, there must be something to it otherwise why would he do it you know i mean maybe some it played you get into the head of the guy who's taking the shot i think you know, make just throwing the ball away making him walk to fetch it some some players are like that you know there there are some boisterous players you know who 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 get a kick out of it who get a you know they get into rhythm that way right see there are stoic players there uh, there are players who are very uh, passionate so if passionate players you know they they feed off the you know energy from the crowd uh, you know there are i mean emilio martinez is a very aggressive uh, you know alpha kind of player you know he he believes in tapping the energy from the from the crowd and so all these antics are part of you know letting his adrenaline flow i'm not sure it really has an effect on the opposition on the other hand that i think is a stretch uh it only uh, i mean you know in a world cup final the, for the, for france to reach that level it, it shows mental fortitude that the, 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 i mean the players have a high level of mental fortitude to have competed and won a world cup in 2018 and then despite all these injuries coming to the 2022 finals and after trailing 0-2 till 80th minute you know uh, equalizing and then going on to penalty shootout that means they are mentally strong right so it's not as if it, they lose their marbles only during the penalty shootout and certainly not because the opposition goalkeeper is behaving uh, you know showing some antics so i don't think that rational works on the other hand it helps that person be himself you know he's that kind of person you saw what he did after he won the you know best goalkeeper award right 
Yeah, with that golden glove. Yeah. No, go, going moving on to the off the pitch into uh, something else altogether. The the political side of it. I wanted you to sort of uh, pick your brain on this aspect as well. So on the eve of the final, you know, before the match started, the Kenyan president uh, took a dig at the. I don't know. I don't know if you can call it a dig exactly, but basically at the European uh, countries, the former colonizing nations. by alluding to the african origin of several players of the french national team he referred to the french team as within quotes my african team you know and i mean in fact even i was thinking the same thing you know i mean after i think a couple of the white players and olivier giroud and rabiot after they left sometime you know around the second half uh, it was like an entirely uh, african team out there you know so on the one hand you have european powerhouses like france belgium germany having so many immigrant players who play a key role in their success and at the same time they are also home to this kind of rabid anti immigrant sentiment and politicians so how does one and these other own uh, populations aware of this contradiction is soccer the last haven so to speak of multiculturalism in europe where multiculturalism is sort of accepted and acknowledged yeah so sampat i mean in my opinion football is a working class sport right and it has historically been one right so if immigrants are doing well in european football football or even in the world stage it's because uh, they seen the sport a way uh, to make a living for themselves india has a huge working class why doesn't our working class we'll get to that we'll get to that so so, so to to succeed in professional football i mean it's not easy you know it, 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 the the cliche right blood sweat and tears right so uh, and immigrant origin footballers have shed them more than others you know in not because I mean, most of these immigrant they live in ghettos you know they in in working class neighborhoods and football is a way out of uh, making a I mean, way way out to make a living for themselves and therefore they have to really struggle to get to the top and because you know you have to struggle and if obviously only if you have skill you will able, you'll be able to make the best out of the struggle right so skilled immigrant origin players go on to do well and most european teams they started featuring immigrant origin footballers because you know in because because they they go on to succeed in that sense you know they because they 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 break the barriers and i mean they do well in professional football that's why these teams feature more immigrant origin footballers and the countries you mentioned france belgium and germany are good examples but even teams like spain right uh, more homogeneous teams they also in this world cup in spain featured three youngsters you know ansu fati Alejandro Balde, Nico Williams, who are all of African origin, and uh, and and purely because of talent and hard work, you know, and you, know, you should listen to Inaki Williams, uh, Nico, Nico's brother. Inaki plays for Ghana, while Nico plays for Spain, right? So both Nico and Inaki play for Athletic Bilbao, which is a uh, you know first division team in the Spanish uh, Premier League, and uh, you know Inaki Williams uh, in a recent interview was talking about the sacrifices his parents made for him and his brother. to be in a position to play professional football how they migrated from ghana and what what they had to you know uh, strive and work hard to let the children uh, you know get to this level so it's very clear that you know immigrants I mean, teams are becoming more uh, you know uh, european teams are featuring more immigrant based immigrant origin footballers because they come they come through the ranks and they also work hard to reach that level now how do we square this with the fact that there is so much hatred for immigrants and the fact that right wing polit- politics has been on its ascendancy and even dominant in several parts of europe now somebody i mean you follow european politics better than me right but still i mean i think i have an some kind of an educated conjecture in my view uh, the success of immigrant dominant teams has also helped that those countries you know stave the threat of 
far right nativist parties. Take the example for France. Take the example of France. You know, recently in the in the presidential election, Emmanuel Macron won the election against uh, you know far right uh, leader Marine Le Pen. Correct. So, and this this he did despite a poor first round showing. Correct me if I'm wrong. Right. Now, th- why did he manage to do so? That's because. A, a large section of uh, voters from the working class who voted for John Luke Melanchon, the communist or rather the left candidate, they transferred their vote to uh, Emmanuel Macron. Okay, and despite France featuring humongous working class uh, strikes, uh, anger against his uh, government's neoliberal policies and so on, they voted against uh, Marine Le Pen. I, why is that the case? I mean, it, it is obvious that. Uh, you know, th- there is a linkage between how immigrants are perceived overall uh, in places where they are successful, successfully integrated or successfully part of the nation's milieu or culture. And in the case of football, very much so. There it is possible for uh, people to overcome their biases and actually, uh, you know, uh, w- vote against, uh, you know, anti-immigrant parties. And uh, in, in France, uh, you know, this is not the first time they're featuring a um, you know, immigrant-oriented uh, team or a, a, a team with many many footballers of African origin. The 1998 World Cup that they win, they won. They featured Zinedine Zidane, who is probably the best ever player. And Kylian Mbappe will say otherwise, but uh, you know, it's Zidane paved the way for other uh, immigrant-origin footballers to you know make their uh, make 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 a career out of football. And France's uh, Karim Benzema, who unfortunately did not win this World Cup, he was a Polandor last year. He's, uh, European football's best player last year. So this this working class background, do you think that applies entire uh, like to South America as well in, in a country like Argentina? Which I mean, Argentina, of course, you don't find any uh, black players there. I think I think the south the, the more south you go in Latin America, the the more white everything becomes, right? So not like Brazil. Yeah, but if you look at it in a different, uh, if you look at it from a longer perspective, I mean, both Brazilian and Argentinian teams are teams of immigrants in that sense, right? So Messi, his team originates from Italy. Uh, I mean, his, his, his family originates from Italy. There are several, uh, you know, uh, like Alexis McAllister has a Scottish origin, right? Uh, so, and Brazil also football is a is a unifying, uh, you know, you know, cultural. Um, what can I say? I mean, f- football unifies a country which is, uh, you know, driven by, uh, you know, class differences, ethnic differences. You have the mestizo and the Indian origin populations. And football actually, you know, try, overcomes that. You know, people like Pele, people like Roberto Carlos, people like uh, Dani Alves, they come from extremely poor working class neighborhoods, right? So um, football has been a kind, some kind of a unifier. It has brought all these, you know, uh, different sections of the population together. And once you do that, once you, you know, uh, integrate people of skill, right, and uh, give them opportunities for, to make a living for themselves, then you get the best out of them and the, the country also gets the best out of them. Right, I, I agree with you there. I think I think what you're saying this point about uh, football being a unifier and you know uh, the being a, a big immigration or immigrant story going on. I think it also uh, to some extent applies in reverse, so to speak, because if you look at a team like Morocco, I think a lot of Moroccan players are uh, from the diaspora. Right, you said they they basically are based out of France uh, and Spain and so on. Uh, we're running out of time, Shin. So one final question before we uh, wrap up. You know, Qatar, as we know, has spent a humongous amount of money uh, to host this World Cup. Do you now think even Qataris themselves uh, would now 
agree that it was worth it in terms of augmenting their soft power or international image or whatever or you think uh, it was like too much money spent for a very short burst of entertainment yeah i'm not sure this world cup was uh, you know uh, the, the all the spending and the uh, you know need to augment the soft power international image was targeted at citizens i mean this countries like uae qatar in any case are also you know heavily immigrant population countries you know nearly 90% of the population are immigrants right natives are barely 10 to 12% in these countries these are you know showcases of uh, i mean these are these are events that showcase the regime right so clearly the qatari regime has been trying very hard to showcase itself as you know some somewhat different and somewhat um, you know is it like targeted against uh, as in like like sending a message to its rivals in the arab world saudi arabia and all like saying? in some way in some way or even preemptively i mean doing so i mean uh, you saw that uh, saudi arabia and qatar uh, ha- had been in some geopolitical intrigue in the last last decade or so i mean last 5 years or so i mean the, the gcc countries actually tried to blockade uh, qatar if i'm not wrong right you, so so the, i mean qatar is also is a wahhabi state but uh, slightly different wahhabi state i mean they profess wahhabism but uh, they do not promote uh, you know values of wahhabism the way the saudis do so uh, so there is a clearly a tension between the, the saudis and the qataris you know in that sense you know saudis in fact go go ahead and say that the the wahhabism that the qataris follow is not true wahhabism and so on so there is a geopolitical intrigue in this regard but qatar has also tried to you know uh, show that uh, i mean tried to show to the world stage that uh it is not just about oil or natural gas uh, that it produces it also try to show that it is not just about human rights not just about labor rights right not just about lgbtq rights <laughs> absolutely i mean th- th- those are those are clearly problems with the way the qatari state behaves and uh, you know how they managed to spend so much money and how the entire world cup was built to the blood and sweat of migrants and so on that is true Uh, but apart from that i uh, mean the, the reason why qatar wanted to hold the world cup is part of this larger strategy that they want to project uh, you know uh, you know their image i mean al jazeera operates out of qatar uh, they want al jazeera to be some kind of a uh, you know global uh, media network uh, i mean these are all uh, ways for the regime to you know showcase itself and i'm not sure it is for the something for the citizens in fact if i'm not wrong even lucelle stadium is supposed to you know stop functioning and it is going to be converted into some multi purpose something i don't know what so i'm not sure uh, you know uh, this was targeted at the citizens but primarily a way for the regime to showcase itself right i think there is uh, there is a long history of uh, regimes trying to sort of utilize or showcase sporting events to sort of seek some kind of international validation especially where there are question marks over that validation and over that kind of legitimacy that they seek uh, thank you so much rini for sharing your thoughts and insights i'm sorry we have run out of time it was an absolute pleasure talking about the world cup with you thank you so much In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by The Hindu. We'll see you soon.